Welcome to the Blind Spots Podcast. This show is designed to help marketers and researchers understand just how to address blind spots in key go-to-market areas through primary research efforts. This podcast is brought to you by DoubleCheck Research, an established leader in win-loss and churn research and analysis with a mission to help clients improve their win rates by turning buyer insights into competitive advantage. My name's Ryan Sorley. I'm a founder, a researcher, a soon-to-be author, a husband to one and a dad to three, and your grateful and humble podcast host. Each show, I will engage with marketing, sales, product, and competitive intelligence experts in the B2B technology space in meaningful and thought-provoking conversations with actionable strategies on how to help product marketers and those with a love for research drive value across their organizations. Recently, the team here at DoubleCheck ran a win-loss peer forum session on competitive intelligence. During the fireside chat portion of the meeting, Bruce Casserell, our VP of Research, invited Paul Senatori of Sitecore and Carlo Cadet of BitSight to answer really important questions such as where do they find competitive insights, what are the best sources, and then how do they turn those insights into deliverables that drive the right kind of positive action within their organizations. So take a listen to Paul and Carlo as they share tips on this episode of Blind Spots. I'm Bruce. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the research directors here at DoubleCheck, and we have the pleasure of two of our um, clients to participate in this fireside chat, Paul and Carlo. And in the spirit of this forum, where it's really a sharing forum amongst uh, all of our peers, I'm going to sort of quickly hand it over to them. So I'm going to be just giving them the time. So Paul and Carlo, if you don't mind, just if you could do a, a quick intro and maybe, you know, how your role supports the CI efforts at a high level. And then we'll we'll dive into some more uh, questions and all those fronts that sort of touch upon that survey that Ryan was showing. Sure. So my role, I'm I'm director of CI. So I'm intimately involved with all CI activities at Sitecore, responsible for them uh, on a global basis. I'm a team of two I have an analyst that works for me. Um, Zippy, I believe, is actually on the call, so she can correct me if I'm way out of line in terms of our use of win-loss data for CI purposes. And I report up through the marketing organizations, specifically through the product marketing organization. So off to you, Carlo. Thanks, Paul. Good afternoon. Good morning to everyone. I lead product marketing and content, and competitive is one of my response areas of responsibility. I have a person on my team who spends approximately a half time dedicated to competitive intelligence. Great. And um, if we if we can, we might send out a, a survey. I don't know if Ryan's still on the call, but we'll we'll see if we can do that to maybe get a sense of, oh, there we go. Just in the interest of of sharing, could everyone just answer? I think we have a, just to see what their team sizes are to see if everybody's in that same boat. So it looks like the majority of you don't have a CI person. And then maybe it's uh, the next is one or two people in that uh, results. So we're going to dive into a lot of CI topics, but in the interest of sort of where we're starting, Paul and Carlo, if you could just sort of give how you leverage win-loss in your CI efforts to sort of kick things off, and then we'll dive into other sources, but just to get a sense of how win-loss dovetails into your, uh, your efforts. No pun intended? Pun intended. I was, there you go. 
for those of you who are using Dovetail in our in our clients. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Carla, do you want to kick off on you know how you're using win loss at a sort of high level, and then we can dive into some more deep details. Sure. At a at a high level, I use it in in perhaps uh, a few different ways. I think consistent with the first data is very much from a sales enablement perspective, just to make sure that the team is fully aware of our primary competitors and complementing using the win loss data to feed into that. In addition, I also folded into conversations with, with regards to both product strategy and product pricing in particular and. From a product marketing perspective, I take a look very much, very closely at the business driver slash compelling event data that's collected. And that's being used specifically from a messaging perspective. So those are the primary ways I'm using the reports. Mine are, mine are somewhat similar. Sales and element is at the top of the list in terms of creating greater efficiencies and effectiveness with the sales organization by providing them with feedback on deals. There's a lot of sales sellers are operating just in their own territory, in their own region, their own vertical. They don't see across the map how deals are ebbing and flowing and winning and losing, getting lost to competitors. So that's the top of the top of the list. Win-loss also fuels most of our competitive assets that we develop uh, because otherwise we get kind of very myopic in terms of just our internal view of how the market is operating, how the products are being differentiated out there. But what we may feel is a key differentiator in our product or where we feel you know, a compelling narrative should be making, helping us make the sale, the customers can kind of right-size that for us, so to speak, and we can kind of align better with what their challenges are and the story that's resonating with them. And also from a competitive perspective, it's it's our view of to see where, because we are in a highly competitive market. I know almost probably everybody on the call here is in a highly competitive market. And we have three top competitors that we, we see on a regular basis, but the list is up to about 15. And this is our way of seeing who's getting into deals and who's not getting into deals. Also, we always assume we're going to be, you know, shortlisted on a lot of opportunities. And we get to find out when we're not being shortlisted on these opportunities, where we're the guy who came late to the deal or was for some reason knocked off the list for a reason we had no idea, kind of came out of left field. So it does help us kind of do a check on our own approach and our own ideas and theories about how the market's operating and how our competitors are going after us. And we also get to kind of get a glimpse into how our competitors are positioning us. It's something you never get to see unless you talk to customers. They'll tell you, you know, you know what, that competitor is not aggressive at all. They're not bringing you guys up or that competitor is always discussing you in deals. Or I don't like the way you guys bring up the competitors. It's a turnoff to me in terms of, you know, looking at you as a trusted vendor. So you get to see how the customers perceive the competitive dynamics. And that's where we we get a lot of traction out of the, the intel. Yeah, Paul, you mentioned other CI sources, you know, Paul and Carlo, what other CI sources do you you know, lean on heavily and maybe talk about how they interact with the win-loss kind of uh, dynamic so that uh, people can understand maybe how you balance your sources. In addition to the win-loss reports, we maintain, an, I, I would say, a number of feelers for different uh, data elements. I do quite a bit of harvesting from our field of insight, obviously, leveraging. We have both a, a Slack channel and a competitive alias, email alias where we're getting a lot of information. I'm also, I find that the field is also useful to getting primary source data as well. For example, quotes and sample reports in, in, in our area with regards to, to the product. And in addition, I utilize other third-party sources for insight. Yeah, so ours are 
Fairly similar. We we leverage, you know, we are a team of two, but we're a virtual team of, I want to say, 200 because we do leverage pre-sales and sellers in every competitive situation we possibly can. They're an invaluable source, even more valuable when they come over from a competitor. Um, so they bring all that intel with them and, and, and experience of how the competitor is selling and positioning their product and how they perceive us out there. We use a few third-party sources. We use the Clue platform. If you're familiar with Clue, it's a, it's a, it's a content curation kind of platform. It's got a, a news feed that comes into it that scours both social and, and regular media sources. And we curate all our competitive content and assets there. That's where our battle cards live. And we are slowly moving a lot of our win-loss information onto Clue. So it's readily available in the same location that sellers would go to to get their battle card information and their, their key differentiators versus competitors. So that's that's kind of key for us there. We're beginning to use the Dovetail platform for actually putting a lot of our other competitive material in. So for example, if we watch a competitor's webinar or we go to one of their conferences, we'll capture the video or the audio. We'll pipe it up into Dovetail and then have it do the transcription for us. And since we can add the tagging, we have the transcription, we have the search, we get all that qualitative information, both from the interviews on the win-loss and the webinars and the conferences and anything we attend or get sent to us from the field, we put all in there. So it's kind of our qualitative repository for raw data. And then we kind of sift all that up, find the intel and the nuggets that we want to turn into really living production assets for the field and for product marketing and for the product groups. But uh, we also, you know, we have probably two vendors that we use for outbound research. So, you know, classic secret shopping kind of activity. So if we really want to see what the competitors, how they're positioning us, we'll put one of our third-party vendors through the whole sales cycle with one of our competitors. And we'll do that on a quarterly basis with each of our major competitors. And that helps us refresh the battle cards and gives us a view into, you know, how they're operating. And then we use this classic kind of secondary sources. You know, LinkedIn's great for, for information. And then, you know, whenever we can get to any international event where our competitors are operating out of our territory, it's really good because they don't suspect that we're there monitoring their activity and seeing how they're evident flowing through the market and how they're approaching customers. And I don't want to fail to bring up partners. We're a very partner-centric organization. We do no services ourselves. So we actually farm it all out to partners. So we've had 100 to 200 partners globally. They operate in our competitor's camp. You know, they burn each side of the candle. So in some ways that works for us and against us. But from a competitive point of view, I get a view into how they're interacting with our competitors and they'll share some of Intel and strategies, not a lot because they don't want to burn the relationship with the, with the partner. Now, we've talked about the term, you know, talked about sales <laughs> enablement, and I think there's even a motion in the competitive CI world to call it competitive enablement. So, you know, what are the things that the outputs of your win-loss and your, maybe your other CIs that you use, you know, what deliverables are the really high-impact deliverables that you deliver to sales? I'll start with Carlo. What do you, you know, like battle cards that we saw on the list before, you know, what's what's your go-tos and for your teams? Sure. I think the classics, battle cards, we absolutely focus on delivering battle cards. For our primary competitors, we will build a, a dedicated online course. That way we could not only serve the existing seller team, but from a new hire perspective as well, it's a strong onboarding tool. I think as everybody probably does, I think there's deal by deal support where on demand, we will help somebody craft a a targeted response to a particular prospect 
where we kind of just will do some real-time curation of existing data. And then, you know, I think another aspect for me is that I drive a monthly forum with our sales management and some of the more invested competitive people in the company where we are, I'm trying to drive a dialogue with regards to the data that I'm getting, as opposed to just kind of a simple monologue, one-way push. I try to find out and solicit from them, given what we're seeing. I love your phrase, Paul, the ebbs and flows of competitors, asking basically leadership to tell me where they want me to focus and what new assets they want me to deliver. Oh, and one thing I was going to mention, uh, Paul, you did a great list of tagging your um, tools. One other tool that I use that I'm getting more and more value out of is our Salesforce uses Gong in terms of as a tool to record calls from for sellers. And that has a, I was trying to recognize Elvis, thank you. I was looking at your background and I was like, I recognize the background. I love Gong and particularly the search capabilities that it has. I use it from both a win-loss perspective, gathering information about specific you know, mentions of competitors and the comments that are made. And I use it in a couple of different ways, but good, strong search capabilities and tracker tools inside of it as well. That's funny you mentioned Gong. Somebody uh, who used to work me in CI actually recommended it as a tool that we should adopt for the supplement of our win-loss research in terms of recording the calls. I'd be interested to talk later in the chat how the culture in the sales organization warms up to having their calls recorded <laughs> at that level of detail. We have a large legal team that wouldn't permit that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I should say we only we only use it in the U.S. market. For GDPR, we do not use it outside of the U.S. Yeah, our, our primary assets are competitive battle cards. Everything on it kind of uh, accumulates into that one kind of tip of the spear piece for the sales organization. But they're they're also able to actually go into the reports themselves. And what we've done is we've taken the reports. And we turn each of the reports into a single slide that we feel can be absorbed by a seller in a matter of three minutes. And in the notes section of that slide, we actually turn that slide into a podcast excerpt. So, which is like three to three to five minutes. We try to keep it as, as small as possible. And it's for those who, you know, want to shy away from a deck or a slide or reading, actually, they can actually listen to the audio. They can actually click on it within the deck, or they can actually just, you know, go to our clue site and listen to any of them there. And since we, we try to do these for every report that's produced, every interview that's done, we now have a catalog of, you know, 80 plus slides that on new sellers and pre-sales people can kind of browse through and they're all structured exactly the same way and any seller that looks at them can immediately kind of recognize the fields and they gravitate to the takeaways what were the what was the headwind that was encountered what were the tailwinds you know what would i do differently in this deal and we also try to weave in the seller's perspective on the deal because these are all customers perspectives of how these things kind of went down and the sellers can have a completely different perspective than the customer. And it's it's not that the sellers are wrong and the customers are right. Frequently, the sellers can be right. And the customers, you know, just giving us a line that's politically correct for a third party that's doing an interview, you know, because I've been on the interview side of things. And I know that they don't always tell you exactly how things transpired in a transaction. So that's another area. Also, before I came on board at Sitecore, we did monthly, the, the sales leadership did a monthly win-loss mostly a loss call down. So they essentially would pull the top losses for the area into uh, into a single call, one hour long, and they would essentially just rake the seller over the coals 
in terms of why did you lose this deal? What did we learn from this? What can other reps who are on this call learn from <laughs> you're not closing this deal? We've since begun to turn that into a much more proactive win-loss learning experience. So the sales leadership was glad to get that off their plate and give it to the CI group. We try to drive it in terms of these are the interviews that we've done. These are the losses. We actually weave in wins. So it's not completely a negative experience for the sellers to be on the call. And we give both sides of the story. So I tell the customer side through the interview notes, and then I let the seller give their perspective on the deal from, from their side. And sometimes they're completely in sync. Sometimes they're completely, and I don't tell the seller what I'm going to say. It's because I like the surprise that this kind of kind of does to their peer group out there when they go, whoa, you didn't see that coming from the customer. So it keeps them on their toes and keeps it a little bit more lively out there. The other piece is we do do the quarterly re reports for our executive team. So C-level staff, Bruce, who was on the call here, does the presentation. And then we kind of annotate it with our perspective from the CI team. That gets us also buy-in from the CMO, the CRO, and the, this, our new CEO in terms of funding this project. It's not cheap, particularly in terms of the time and commitment from the sellers in terms of cooperating and, and helping us navigate the, the prospects and the opportunities to get them into the system to get interviewed. So uh, it also helps us with the buy-in there. Carla, you, you mentioned your sort of monthly meeting, and I'm curious how win-loss and CI comes up both in a sort of large setting like that, but also in a more one-to-one -one setting? Can you talk about how you use it maybe in a more intimate manner, maybe direct with, uh, you know, VP, you know, other stakeholders, uh, you know, just talk about that sort of one-to-one -one usage as well. Sure. I utilize individual win-loss reports as conversation either prompts or to offer to introduce data into specific conversations. So, for example, the topic of integrations will come up, I'll, just to use that as an example. There are some things that we do and some things that we don't do. And I try to share the data from a customer perspective. And so for me, I'm able to influence kind of the, some of the part of the strategy level conversations within the company by utilizing individual reports, as opposed to kind of, um, I'll say, saying what I think. I use the reports as a specific piece of evidence to support a conversation. We've gotten some questions from the audience, and I guess this is one that I, I, we get a lot. I'm curious how the two of you make this calculus. How do you know what's the right number of reports to create a win-loss program? Any thoughts on how you come up with that, that number based on different factors? You know, Paul... Well, you know, you have a lot of competitors, you know, is that driving it? What's what's driving the the, the sort of report count that people are asking? In the, and please keep asking questions in the chat. But uh, Paul? Yeah, good question. Um, so I've been I've been doing the win loss in a real structured way, mostly through double check for probably two years now. So I've got a little bit of a feel for the volumes that come in. Probably the biggest gating factor to how many reports you do is how much you can absorb and how much you can then turn into relevant insights. So above all, this is budget too. You know, you've only got so much you can spend and you want to make sure you, you spend that money as, as wisely as possible across your CI activities. That being said, we do about 20 reports a quarter. We started out with about 15. We're going to be actually increasing to 25. The number of competitors does drive a lot of that because we are now seeing a lot of smaller competitors enter our market. We acquired a couple of companies in the last couple months, which introduced us to another 
dozen vendors I have to worry about. And so we're broadening from our 20 to 25, and we'll split that five across some of the new competitors and that new market or new new segments that we're going after out there. There's also the the issue of, you know, a lot of it depends on your inventory, you know, how many deals you turn per quarter. You know, we look at 150 to 200, you know, qualified deals. From there, we narrow that down to about 80 to 90 that we actually hand off to double check for their first calls through to this, our sellers. From that, we probably get to about 30 to 40 that are really fully qualified. And then from there, we probably get about 10 customers who drop off if after they've made the commit. You know, things come up, they go on vacation, they get cold feet, or their manager says, what are you talking to these guys about this deal for? And they kind of fall off the radar screen. So at the end of the day, we end up with the 20 that we targeted. So that's kind of our way of making the sausage on the win-loss inventory. Sure. On my side, I think it's uh, it's enough. It's the same way I have to try. We're triangulating to a number in terms of obviously budget. You know, the absorption rate into the organization, I think, is a super real, I'll say point, And it's almost like a choke point trying to distribute 15 pages or even the summary alone. There's only one or two people actually committed to reading that. I'm actually trying to utilize research insights through Dovetail to more effectively drive single threaded, single topic conversations. Coming back to the the number we probably do in the neighborhood of 200 transactions, two to 250 transactions a quarter, or I should probably say opportunities that kind of net to a certain number in the quarter of, of close. And we're looking to kind of grow. I, I very much come at it from a stats perspective. You got to get up to a representative number of what you're looking for. Otherwise, it's purely anecdotes. And so we're, we're also growing our number of reports. I think this year we're going to double the number of reports. And, and so we're going to land in the uh, 60-ish range of reports. And from my perspective, it's not enough, but balancing absorption, it, it may be just right. Now, a lot of attention sort of put on, I'll call them the big three of the stakeholders, sales, of course, marketing and product. Can you talk about maybe how you adjust your CI efforts to for those big three stakeholders? I mean, we've talked a lot about sales. Maybe we can talk a little bit about marketing and product to see how CI gets consumed there. Paul? Yeah, since I, I live in the marketing organization, the expectation there is that they're the they're at the the front of the line in terms of my both my time, my team's time, and our output, which makes complete sense because if we can affect the story and the narrative around our products, that kind of then kind of trickles down to the sales organization through enablement material and training and onboarding and everything else. So they're the first one. The the leadership in marketing, the CMO, counts on our win loss reports for all the QBRs and all the quarterly reporting and summaries going into the next quarter. So what were the top deals, what we won, what we lost, and why? Is our message still resonating? So I have to answer those questions through the win-loss reports and also through discussions with other people across the organization throughout the quarter. In terms of the product group, we were just beginning to get traction with them. One recent kind of um, engagement we had was on something called editing and authoring tools, something we don't pay a lot of attention to in our product, but it is becoming more and more of a differentiator in deals because our competitors are upping the ante, improving their editing and their content experience, content authoring experience. So we looked across all our past reports for any win losses that mentioned content authoring and editing tools, pulled out the quotes and then looked at our quant report to see how prominently that particular capability or feature kind of ranked and rated versus the other valuation criteria in the deals. 
And since we had all that information already, we could quickly kind of get that off to them and within you know a day, in addition to looking at the content and editing tools from our competitors from more of a product perspective, taking them apart, running through them, et cetera, which we, we do we do anyway. There's another group that we've begun to, that's outside of those. I'll just mention those without going into detail. So the contract, the legal side of the house and procurement was very interested in the kind of traction we were getting or not getting with our customers from an, a transaction perspective. And since we frequently talk to people in procurement and win-loss interviews, this was one of the rare times they could actually see how people perceive going through the transactional aspect of our relationship in a deal. So we also support those groups. Those three are the primaries for me. I mean, I'm I, every day I'm I'm sitting on the fence in between those three teams. I report to the CMO. We do exactly what you said, Paul. It's part of the quarterly. We're actually even moving up to a smaller senior leadership conversation as well that's going to be on a cadence. I do a fair number of the, me or, or, or the guy on my team that will do a fair number of uh, our Monday morning sales trainings periodically over time. And as I mentioned earlier, with regards to product, I utilize in particular, I find great value in, um, we complement the interviews with quant- with surveys, online surveys. And in particular, it's very insightful to be able to compare the importance that a particular prospect places on different features and or attributes of the company relative to how they rate our offering. And so that is a very insightful aspect. So as an example, if someone thinks the UI is extremely important and they rate us very low, that's a conversation opportunity with the product team. Bruce, if I can add one one more thing sure. on that, what group that you should not ignore in this, because they're they're in marketing, is the the customer marketing and the cu- customer reference group. We're win loss reports since they're all opportunity and deal close kind of base. There's not that post deal implementation deployment perspective on the customer's experience, but the opportunity itself and the deal is usually that first catalyst that they're interested in in customer marketing. So we're a natural feed into that group for them to then pursue those deals. And as part of our interviews, as probably a lot of people on this call already do, we ask the customer whether they're open to being a reference if it's a win deal. And that's you know one tag in the record for us then to pass off to the customer reference and marketing team for them to follow up. So we'll give them 20 or so opportunities per quarter that they can pursue. And if 80 potential customer references per year in a company our size, is plenty of references, particularly after dispersed globally across our product line. This has been a great discussion. I do appreciate, Paul and Carlo, your time for this. I think this is exactly what we wanted to have happen because our getting these ideas out there, and I think really appreciate the insights you guys have given. And that was Paul Senatori of Sitecore and Carlo Cadet of BitSight interviewed by our own Bruce Casrell, VP of Research at DoubleCheck. If you liked this session and you want to hear more great insights from subject matter experts in the product marketing and competitive intelligence space, we would love for you to subscribe to Blind Spots on your favorite podcast channel. Thanks a lot.